right, if you'll open up your Bibles to John chapter 8 as we continue our study through the Lord's ministry. We've got a, another long outline in front of us. I don't intend to, to wrap it all up in one preaching. But both parts of this outline, there's actually two different sections, both discuss and deal with the conflict with the Pharisees. Uh, the first part is the discourse on the light of the world. And for this, we'll look at John 8, verses 12 through 30. Conflict with the Pharisees exposed, discourse on the light of the world. John 8, starting at verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father, I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. As, and we know this from earlier in his ministry, uh, when the, the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove, and the uh, voice from the clouds came out. We saw that same thing occur during the transfiguration. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Uh, it's important to note that he's in the treasury. This happened just after the adulterous woman's uh, conflict, if you want to call it that, uh, which also happened right after the Feast of Tabernacles. So this gives you a, a, a geographic location, if you will, of where he, how far he's gotten in the time since the, the feast, but also where he is delivering this message who he's dealing with and this is the treasury in the temple as we see in the next few words as he taught in the temple and no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come then said jesus again unto them i go my way and ye shall seek me <clears throat> and shall die in your sins whether i go ye cannot come then said the jews will he kill himself because he saith whether i go ye cannot come and he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, uh, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as, <clears throat> but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we... Open up your word once more, Lord. I pray that you would give us understanding, Lord. Remove the distractions from our hearts and lives, from not just the born-again church members, but the lost and saved alike that are sitting under the teaching of your word, Father. Help us to hear. Increase our faith. Help our labor to not be in vain. 
Lord, we ask all these things of your son, in your son's dear name. Amen. This event seems to follow, as I'd said, immediately after the event with the adulterous woman. And these are likely some of the same Pharisees, plus or minus a few, that may have gathered since their conviction caused for them to drop their accusations back in verse 9. There's a couple of points that uh, I, I want to make make known as we read through this. And there's some things here that we've alluded to, and I just want to make connections to. The first is that Jesus is this light that they that is being referenced here. We have one of our Lord's great I am statements there in verse 12, which we start with. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. This is a profound statement. Now, all would agree that it's profound. But those who have been regenerated, those who have experienced salvation, say this is a most precious statement. Those who are still left in darkness hating the light, uh, this is a most despicable statement. Uh, he's literally identifying himself as their enemy. Uh, for us, even in a season of life, he would have been our enemy, one we would have persecuted, one we would have kicked against. As the light of the world, Christ claimed to be God, for God is light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John writes, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Praise the Lord. Darkness speaks of death, of ignorance, of sin. Light speaks of life, freedom, knowledge, holiness, who could bear witness of the light? Even after Moses received the law, they couldn't look upon his face. After dwelling with the Lord, he had to be veiled. They said he shined. It's fitting, of course, that the Lord speaks of himself in terms of being the light, as this is, once again, just after the Feast of Tabernacles. So uh, getting ourselves back into this place, into the context of these events, uh, it'd be no different than when things occur here in life. Uh, this is a traditional thing that happens seasonally, if you will. There's a, a time of cleanup, a time of putting things away, um, like what would have happened last night after the baby shower. There were folks who stayed behind to put things back together, to set things right again. His phrasing here was likely a reflection of their custom of erecting a lighting great uh, a, 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 light, a type of lighting, which would have been a great uh, candelabra in the court of women during the feast, which would have been done in commemoration of the pillar of fire, which along with the pillar of, cl uh, of cloud, guided the Israelites on their journeys through the wilderness. I love that fact, because he was that pillar. That was him. He's literally saying, that which you do in memory of me, I am he. I am the light of the world. This is the first thing we start with in this event. And it connects immediately with those who are paying attention to the feast, paying attention to the traditions of, of, of what they've been called to do. This is he. I mean, if they had bright neon lights that said, I am the Messiah, they'd have been blinking right here and now. This is him. Everything that you're commemorating stands present, living and breathing before you this very hour. He, said, he even says, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. And that pillar of light appeared in darkness so that they could see it most clearly and follow after it. Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22 is direct, directly what they're commemorating here. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, 
to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, and he took not away the pillar of fire by night from before the people. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, he says. What? What? I mean, you know, writers today strive for that kind of meta-level context that connects on so many different things. And that's, they're still trying to do what the Bible does already. The more we study this, the more we teach this, Steve and I talk about this all the time, the more we see things we never saw before. I was talking to Brother Hilly about our study through uh, guarding the foundations, and he said, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach on the armor that way. And I said, I can tell you right now, I've never preached on the armor that way, and I've preached on the armor a lot. But every time there's something new, every time there's a connection that we can say, boy, that's pretty obvious. We should have seen that. And here in real time for them, they would have easily been able to say, well, we should have seen that. The significance of his words, we're erecting the candelabra. And with what it pictures, if he is who he says he is, well, this is more than symbolism. It's real for crying out loud. It's him. At this time, the workmen were likely called on to take the lampstands down until the next feast that they'd be needed for. This means if we're in the evening time and they're taking the lampstands down, well, I mean, we could exercise it. Isaac, go turn off the light switch. See what happens. It's going to get dark. And he stands before them and says, I am the light of the world. You don't get people's attention any easier than when things go dark to stand and say, I am the light. And what should we be doing right now? As the world gets darker and darker and darker, we are to stand and say we know the light. Cities set upon a hill, easily visible. We know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. He who follows him won't walk in darkness. Come and see. Come and see. Just as those early Israelites would have followed the pillar of fire, Jesus was calling for them to follow him. And we just got done talking this morning a little bit about what he's calling for them to do. The second thing, remember Jesus answers that night. Again, we're starting to truly see just how important that conversation with Nicodemus was. Are we not? Back in John 3, uh, this is the third outline in a row that makes references to things that Nicodemus heard that night. And Nicodemus was present for at least some of the recent events that we've been talking about. Let's have a little bit of refresh. If you'll turn over to John 3, I want to read in verse 11. Remember, John, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he understands there's some miracles that have been done, some great things that have taken place. And he wants to know what the secret is, how it's possible. And he does it in a respectful way. But Jesus doesn't answer those questions. I mean, he does, in a sense, if you really look at it. But he speaks right to Nicodemus about Nicodemus's need. He must be born again. By the time we get to verse 11, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe? If I tell you of heavenly things... And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I'm going to keep reading, but I want to stop for just a moment. We saw this 
last lesson with the adulterous woman. As Jesus picked himself up, he stooped down to the woman and picked himself up again. We see an exaltation or a lifting up of Christ, and we see conviction for the accusers, and we see a healing for this woman. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And we see now these latter verses that start with verse 16, coming together in what he's presenting right now with the Pharisees. I'm the light. He mentions the promise for those who follow after the light. And he told Nicodemus that night that of those same promises. I think it's very significant that the world gets so caught up in John 3.16. And I do think John 3 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. But he doesn't repeat verse, six, uh, verse 16 three times. He repeats what took place before verse 11. You must be born again. You must be born again. That is repeated by our Messiah, by Christ Jesus, our Savior. He repeats that. There are those who will live and die on the mountain of John 3.16. And it is a very important verse. And a very misunderstood verse. But Jesus exercises, because we're back here in John, aren't we? Our text is in John 8. And Jesus had imprinted this on John in such a way that he's continuing to cover these illustrations and the exercise of the Lord bringing this into fruition, uh, specifically for Nicodemus, who's only in John's account, but for the people he was teaching. The light reproves sin, as we see there in verse 20 of John 3. The lost sinner lives in darkness. Consider the following that I take from Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Ephesians 4, verses 17, 18, and 19. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. There's that nasty word, lasciviousness, that Jude said ungodly men would seek to turn the grace of God over to. Ephesians 5, verses 8, 9, and 10. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of, the light, of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Now, there's a parenthetical in the middle, so let me read this without the parenthetical. Paul says, For ye were sometimes darkness, 
But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus that night. What a most important conversation he had with this so-called teacher. This man who was uh, in many ways very successful, in many ways held in very high regard. And Jesus says, you got to be born over again. you got to essentially start over. You have an understanding of earthly things, but not of heavenly. Remember that as we apply it here, as he's speaking of being the light, as he's exercising here for the Pharisees their love of darkness and why they're rejecting the light. He then points out two ways to die. And that's our third point. There are two ways to die. The sinner dies in their sins, for they were never removed. And the believer dies in the Lord. We see that one in Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, hath the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Faith in Jesus Christ makes the difference between these two deaths. Faith in Jesus Christ makes the difference in how we die and how we live ought to be impacted the same way. The lost sinner left in his state will spend eternity in darkness. Eternity rejecting Christ who pronounced his sentence based on his deeds. Matthew 25, 30 says, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The one pronouncing the sentence there in Matthew 25, 30 is not the one that made this servant, so-called, unprofitable. He's simply stating what has been proven. He's stating what we would say, stating the obvious. This servant is unprofitable, unfruitful, without worth. This prophet, or this servant, if you will, is in darkness. The Jews here, instead of submitting to Christ, argued with him in the temple. Which brings us to our fourth point, Jesus' commission, provision, and presentation. Jesus told the Jews that he came from heaven. Jesus spoke to probably one of the most significant events in Jewish history. When they walked by faith on dry land through the waters and were led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. Does anybody know when that started? When those waters divided, a separation was formed between Pharaoh's men and the nation of Israel. It started right there because he stood between them. He, there was a, a pillar that shadowed them as they went in and kept the Pharaoh's troops from marching in after them. They were never left on their own leadership after that. They were never left unguided. The Father sent him, as it says in verse 26 of our text. He confirms the Father taught him, as it says in verse 28, and remained with him, as Jesus says in verse 29. This same exact thing is what God the Son has done for us. We were commissioned or sent. We are instructed continually, not just by the preaching and teaching of his word, but it's made effectual by the Holy Spirit and a lot of times retained and uttered back to us by that still small voice which we recognize to be the Holy Spirit. And we are kept eternally 
the same promises that Jesus presents unto them that God the Father had fulfilled in him. I mean, it was a real fulfillment. He was, after all, standing before them, confessing to have been that pillar. He's an I am. I mean, this, as I started this lesson, this is one of his I am statements. I am the light of the world. Just that two-word phrase had significance with the Israelites. He didn't make mistakes. He knew who he was talking to. He knew them intimately. He led their ancestors through the wilderness. Cared for them, protected them, fed them, led them, directed them. Think about how that ended. All that traversing, the generation that passed in the wilderness, minus Caleb and Joshua, and as they come back to the promised land, weary of battle, maybe tired, a little weak, Joshua on his knees is met by a chief of soldiers who is standing. And Joshua says, are you friend or foe? It, so to speak. Are you friend or foe? Are you for me or against? And we talked about this recently. Joshua being a man of battle. Joshua who was the one who was fighting back when Moses had to have his arms elevated to assure the victory. It was Joshua on the battlefield. Joshua already knows that in his position on his knees, he could never hope if this guy was against him to get up fast enough. Jesus was that man. Untired. Unquestioned. And he tells to Joshua, you have the victory. This land is yours. Go and claim it. Listen to the commission. See if it doesn't echo that same thing. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, that land is yours. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. He says at the end of John 16, there's literally nothing left that can claim our victory. We're more than conquerors. There is now, therefore, no more condemnation. He just got done telling the adulterous woman, go and sin no more. That is our commission. Go and lay claim as victors. This is not your world. This is not your home. Point them to Christ. Point them to the only hope that remains. Whether it's angry neighbors, angry parents, bad politicians. Point them to Christ. Oh, there's all kinds of complexities that jump to mind, is there not? Probably was some complexities that day too for the Jews who had a man standing before them that claimed to be that pillar. I, I mean, that was a long time ago. I don't, I don't know that that could have been you. Probably a lot of complexities that night for Nicodemus, who just wants to know the secret behind the magic. And Jesus keeps saying, you must be born again. We know there was complexities, because he said, am I to return into my mother's womb? Yeah, there's some complexities. It's all right here. When we're full of doubt and full of fear, full of trembling on what we can and cannot do. Luckily, it has nothing to do with 
what we can and cannot do. I want us to consider, fifthly, the mean words of Jesus. Some will take issue with the truth of our text here. Consider again the words of Christ. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. In darkness, they assume the only place Jesus might go that they could not was death. The very next verse says they were convinced he was going to kill himself. This not only reads clearly as them not understanding who Jesus was or is, but also reads as puffed up. For all shall surely die. Consider Ezekiel 3.18, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. They speak as though they couldn't follow him in death as though death weren't even real to them. I want to ask you, how real is death to you today? You know, the next tragic news story WTVA delivers, it might be yours. Do you know how close this community was to a real tornado touching down and taking this whole mountain just a few days ago? Derek said, 74-mile-an-hour wind. And everybody I said that to was like, oh, man, it's hurricane force. The next tragic news story could be those who are trying to speak to your character and remember you on national television. Virginia was a good neighbor, very sweet and polite. She's no more. She perished in the storm. The next tragic news story might be yours. Now, we've talked about the approaching storm. We've talked uh, in ways of, of, of gut-wrenching stories of those who have died when sudden death came upon them. But probably 90% of death is sudden for us. Why? We're all going to die. Why would we use the word sudden? If I were to die right now, we'd say it was sudden. But why? It was appointed before the foundation of the world. That date was never going to change. Eat healthy, eat poorly, I'm still going to die. When the Lord says, I'm going to die. We say sudden because there's a certain reality we don't accept about death. Until it comes suddenly upon us. Remember those ESPN announcers with that Buffalo uh, defensive back? There's no words. It's jarring. It's peculiar. There's no words, they said. Death's coming. Death's coming. And death's not always obvious. You young people, you might think, well, row two, row three, they'll probably go first. Age has nothing to do with it. Death could come to this row two first and that row three second, and then these two, these three right here might outlast all of us. Death doesn't have to make sense. For all have fallen short Death is the penalty of sin, a penalty we're all going to bear. Two ways to die. The sinner dies in their sins, and the believer dies in the Lord. But all will die. Have you given any thought to that? How will you spend the rest of today knowing you're going to die? Any given moment, in our understanding, it could be over. 
one of the leadership techniques because I have you know I've business degree so I've, I've had to read all those books too uh, one of the things they like to tell you is to practice writing your own eulogy. What will people say about you? And that, that speaks of your character. I don't really want to give you that challenge, but you ought to think about it. And I might not present it the way you might expect me to. If I'm doing your funeral, what am I going to say? What's the preacher going to be asked to say about you? If they're a preacher worth their salt, they're not going to lie. Well, I think, I think this person was saved. You imagine a preacher having to stand in front of your family and friends and say, I think they were saved. I think they're in a better place. I think they're happy. They're with Fido now. Or will they have to tell the truth? This man, this woman lived a wicked life. Saw him a couple times in church. Don't know how they lived. They ducked out the door before I could ever talk to them. Or they didn't come enough. Or they never read their Bible. Or they didn't even face the front when the preaching was being done. I don't know if they're saved. They might be. There's a 50-50 chance. Boy, that's not a eulogy you'd want to hear. You wouldn't even want to be in the room for it, let alone be yours. Do the preacher a favor. Don't make it such a mystery. If you're the Lord's, live like it. If you're not the Lord, you already are. You already are living like it. The problem with Christianity in 2023 is you can't tell the two apart. You can't tell the saints from the unborn again sinners. We all crave the same entertainment. We all eat from the same table. Sadly, many use the same language. Some probably study as much. What separates us? What's I mean, Jesus expounds on this point. Ye are from beneath, he says. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And again we see that the Lord speaks directly to their greatest need. They would need to truly know him to live. I am the light. He says here, later he'll say, I am the light, the truth, and the way. No man cometh to the Father except by me. He'd been telling them from the beginning of his ministry who he was is even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, he says here. I have not wavered. I have not changed. I am not a light that flickers or dims. I'm the light. As sure as your ancestors were that I was a beam of light in front of them to pursue after and follow. I stand here today, he says. Follow after me. He reiterated for them his purpose in fulfilling the will of the Father. He says the need for him to be lifted up or exalted as well as crucified is presented once more, just as it was for Nicodemus, so that you live. The reason he rebuked Peter, as we referenced earlier, when Peter said, this won't have to happen. He says, get thee behind thee, Satan. You savor us not the things of God. This was intended by God. It must have happened. If not, all would perish. None would be saved. This may be one of the harshest presentations of his purpose thus far. 
We're talking about Christians and their purpose. It's fitting that we spend some time on the Lord's purpose. He made it plain. They would die without him. Could that kind of preaching be received today? Eh, we're going to sure give it a try. But what will we do with it? I mean, I could deliver a whole sermon and only say death, 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 death the whole time. And we'd still walk out of here thinking we've got as much as we need, as much time as we need. We're healthy. You're going to die. I'm not concerned about your life choices. I'm not concerned about your political stance. I'm not concerned, really, if you agree with me. You're going to die. Don't you think a little time and investigation into what this word has to say might be a beneficial use of your Let me put it this way. If you don't think you're going to die, you've got no time to lose. Read a little bit of God's word today. You're going to live forever anyway, right? Give up an afternoon. But if you believe the evidence of the cemetery down the road that this road's named after, maybe read God's word today. Beyond, can you imagine that? Beyond three sermons, going home and reading more of God's word? Go ahead and do it. I don't even have to tell you where to read. Just pick a place. There's something in there for you because you're going to die. Some may say that this kind of preaching is not effective. It is mean. It is bullying. But what do we see at the conclusion of Christ's text here? At the conclusion of this teaching? And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. It's delivered in, in the place that it is delivered as confirmation that God the Father is with him. Souls were given. I mean, this is the shepherd. This is the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And he was given sheep. At the, 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 the preaching, the teaching, this tough teaching of his words. And he says, God the Father is ever present with me. And folks believed. Fruit for his labor, indeed. Lost sheep found, beloved. Not every sheep that a shepherd has to retrieve is just lying down in a wide open field, easy to just set upright. Some are in ditches, some have fallen in caves, some have been attacked by wolves. There's no place the Lord won't go to retrieve father's sheep. Consider again what Ezekiel wrote back in Ezekiel 3.18 that we read a, uh, a little bit of a minute ago. And what is required of us in regards to being profitable servants. And we'll close with this. Matthew 12.50 For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother, my sister, and my mother. Ezekiel 3.18 When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. It's interesting the way that's phrased, because this is, this is warning that was given to the prophet to give to a dying man, one who is going to die in his iniquity, and does die in his iniquity, which confirms that was destined to happen. But there's a responsibility and accountability on Ezekiel's part. 
and accountability on the prophet's part to deliver that word he'd been burdened with. If you don't know the Lord today, don't turn on the TV tonight. There's, there's literally nothing you're going to gain from that. Open up the Bible and just read. Set no expectations. Don't even set a time limit. Read till your eyes get tired. Go for a walk and then read some more. Spend some quiet time meditating and thinking about what God's Word says. If you've proven me to be a liar, all right. But a, a good quiet evening with God's Word is better than any, any evening in the world you're going to find. Do it this day. Challenge before you. Abhor the, th the evil things of this world. That scripture we read in Romans. Take heed. Take heed. It'd be good for us to notice just how often we're taking doses, doses of arsenic in our diet. It'd be good for us to recognize just how toxic our entertainment really is. Maybe by the end of it, maybe by the end of this week, you'll decide, I don't need that anymore. I'll be praying to that effect. May the Lord receive all the honor and the glory and praise for today.